uh, that he used thus far, I don't know, but at least he has it. Okay. What a person does with it is up to them. That's all we can My do. My responsibility is to see that whenever I can help another human being that is suffering, I'm going to be there to help them. We want to thank you so much, Gary. We're going to have to run. Thank you so much. Okay. And again, um, thank you those of you who have called in and have asked for Gary Knoll's triple triple stuff pack, the green, the red, and also the muscle stuff for a contribution to WBAI of $160. You can still call in 516-620-3602. Join the other callers now calling and asking for the triple stuff pack, the red, the green, and the muscle stuff, 516-620-3602. And this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous, well, now we are in fundraising mode. And as mentioned before, the pledge line is 516-620-3602 or go to give to WBAI.org um, to find out whatever gift that you do, uh, whatever thank you gift that you pledge for. We thank you in advance because all the proceeds will go to benefiting this station and making sure that this institution continues to give you that perspective of the world that you rely on on a daily basis here. It is now one minute past 5 p.m. Stay tuned for Driving Forces with... Oh. What just happened there? Okay. Driving forces with Jeff Simmons coming up. back to WBAI and you're listening to Driving Forces with me, your host, Jeff Simmons. This is a show where we focus on the big issues in city, state and national politics, issues that matter to you. Uh, you were just listening to a special and Reggie just gave you a little update on uh, the fact that it is our fundraising drive. Uh, I want to thank you so much for tuning in to WBAI and for sticking with us. Uh, it's really important that we have dedicated, loyal listeners like you, and I want to thank you so much. I've been trying to track what is going on uh, in Washington, D.C. today. It seems as if uh, they uh, the uh, Judiciary Committee might announce the articles of impeachment uh, later on tonight. This uh, continued today uh, after the debate began over the articles Wednesday. All through the day today, a number of developments that hopefully we'll be able to talk about during the show. If they move ahead with this, this would be the fourth time in history that uh, a president of our country is facing impeachment. So, again, the articles are expected to come to the House floor once they're introduced uh, as early as next week. Uh, in other news, uh, I'm sure you have heard about that uh, brutal killing that had taken place uh, across the Hudson River in New Jersey where six uh, people were killed at a kosher grocery store. Uh, that continues uh, to dominate the news, and uh, authorities have called this an incident of domestic terrorism, an act of hate, an act of terror. Uh, and this has taken place as hate crimes across our city. Are, are surging. Uh, in other news, what started out seemingly as a lighter story, uh, that time selected Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old climate uh, crisis activist, as its person of the year, has taken on a new twist this afternoon because our president has decided to 
according to Twitter, obviously, to bully her uh, by basically saying that uh, – tweeting that, that Greta Thunberg uh, has ma- anger management issues. Ah! And yeah, and this has actually then uh, spun around where people have now uh, focused on the fact that the first lady has made bullying or anti-bullying uh, one of the platforms of, uh, of, of her tenure here. So you wonder why, you know – if she's going to be saying something to him later on tonight at home. Uh, also, disturbingly, what has taken place here in the city, which came to light, if you saw the front page of the Daily News today, an extremely, extremely sad story. Uh, an 18-year-old student at Barnard College uh, had been fatally stabbed inside Morningside Park at 116th Street Uh and Morningside Drive, uh, and uh, the police are investigating this. Uh, from reports this afternoon, they were questioning several minors uh, in connection with this. In fact, uh, just so our listeners know, if you have been, if you follow me on Twitter, you would have seen that our third guest tonight was New York City Council Member Mark Levine, who was uh, is a member of the Jewish Caucus and was going to talk with us a little about what took place in Jersey City with the shooting. Uh, but he, uh, uh, understandably, uh, now must focus on this stabbing incident that had taken place in his district. Obviously, a lot of concerned students and the community. Uh, so uh, we are our thoughts are with the family of the student and with the students in that in that district. Again, I want to thank you for tuning in to WBAI. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. I want to thank you if you are a BAI buddy, uh, which, as Reggie has also mentioned, uh, is an important part of showing your uh, sustain, you know, your giving, your uh, your love for WBAI. And if you have been a loyal listener, or even if you're new and you want to be able to support commercial-free, non-corporate community radio, it's important that you become a BAI buddy. That's something I do, where I just give a five or ten or twenty dollar uh, contribution each month. Just uh, goes onto my credit card. Uh, the way to do it, pledge lines are open, 516-620-3602. Again, that's 516-620-3602. You also could just go online, and that website is give to, that is the number two, wbai.org. Again, that's give to wbai. Uh, dot O-R-G. And one other way you could do this is you could even text uh, WBAI to the number 41444. Uh, just text WBAI to 41444. So one of the things uh, that I focused on a few weeks ago on the show, uh, which I really liked, was this effort uh, by a New York City school teacher to uh, get uh, – the schools in our system, in the public school system, to have school newspapers. And it was a nice conversation about the value of journalists and the value of journalism in our, in our city. Uh, and, you know, if you have not listened to my show for a while and you don't know much about me, I was a journalist for 17 years uh, in New Jersey and here in New York City uh, for newspapers and a television station. And it meant a lot to me to be a journalist. And there were times in my career that I did feel that I was, you know, in situations that did not seem uh, as safe, where there were people who were threatening to me or abusive to me. Uh, but it was never to the point where I felt that my 
eaten in my life was in jeopardy. But across the globe, that is a concern that there are a number of journalists who have been injured, who have been killed, or, or and who have been jailed. And that brings me to uh, my first guest today from the Committee to Protect Project protect journalists, uh, the advocacy director, Courtney Ratch, and she's going to talk about a new report that identifies the threats to journalists across the globe. Uh, Courtney, welcome to Driving Forces. Thanks so much for having me. So first of all, before we get to the report, can you talk a little about the Committee to Protect Journalists? Sure. Uh, The Committee to Protect Journalists, we have a very descriptive name. We work around the world to help journalists report the news freely without fear of reprisal, to protect press freedom and to ensure that journalists can uh, report the news safely. And typically, we have worked around the world in some of um, the countries where journalists are most under threat. But more recently, we've been doing more work in the United States. We were founded in 1981. And um, this year, we have helped at least 80 80 journalists get out of prison early. And how how do you go about and do that? Uh, We use a range of tactics. So the first um, foundation of what we do is reporting. So we kind of act like a news service for attacks on the press, where we are reporting on a daily basis about all of the attacks happening around the world against journalists, um, policy attacks on press freedom, how uh, different things are going to impact the ability of journalists to do their job freely and safely. That research and reporting is the foundation for our work Uh, our advocacy work, which we're trying to uh, get journalists out of jail, to get justice when they are murdered, to ensure that government policies enable press freedom, um, to look at legislative issues. And then we also provide emergency assistance and emergency support to journalists under threat. So we have an emergencies department that provides safety guidance and advice to journalists and provides life-saving support. So it's really this combination of reporting, advocacy, and emergency assistance. And, you know, the report, the survey that you had come out with uh, has a, you fixed a number to that. And I, you know, didn't want to uh, give that away in, in leading into this. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it it's part of a trend. It's not just isolated in one year where this has happened. Can you talk a little about, you know, the number of journalists who were imprisoned over the last year and uh, how this compares with previous years? Sure. So every year we do our annual prison census. And this is a census of all the journalists who are behind bars on December 1st of any given year. Now, it's not exactly easy to find out how many journalists are behind bars because it's not like Iran, China, um, and other countries are very forthcoming. So this year, we found that at least 250 journalists are behind bars, imprisoned in retaliation for their reporting. And this is the fourth consecutive year with at least 250 journalists behind bars These are record highs um, at the height of what we've been tracking since we began keeping record. And so we're very concerned, you know, about this ongoing trend of jailing journalists. And what are some of the regions where you're uh, seeing uh, high numbers of journalists in jail? Well, China edged out Turkey for the first time in four years to top the list as the world's leading jailer. But we always see Turkey and China at the top of the list. Egypt has been the third worst jailer of journalists for the past several years. And this year, Saudi Arabia decided to join it at the top of 
vying for third place. So what we see is that there's actually equal opportunity around the world where governments are using this tactic to clamp down on press freedom, to clamp down on reporting. There are journalists in jail in 12 countries in sub-Saharan Africa, which is a more than doubling of the number of countries that imprisoned journalists there last year. We see throughout the Middle East that it is once again regaining its title as one of the most challenging regions for journalists to work because of the imprisonment there. Um, And we see throughout Asia, from China to Vietnam um, and elsewhere, that journalists are being thrown in jail. So really, it's only in um, Western Europe and the Americas where you don't see this tactic being very used very often. Of course, there are a handful of journalists in jail, including in Cuba, um, but that is not the main tactic of repression that's used in that region. And the, and, the, and the range of reasons that are cited why they're in prison, can you talk a little about that? Sure. So most journalists are imprisoned on anti-state charges. So that means something like promoting terrorism or being part of a terrorist group or defaming the state. Um, This is the most common charge, and we've certainly seen how the use of charges like terrorism is directly linked to things like the war on terror or the fight against um, ISIS, where legitimate, um, you know, anti-terrorism efforts are manipulated by repressive regimes and used as an excuse to clamp down on independent reporting, equating journalism with terrorism. But what we've also seen recently in the past few years is a real uptick in the cases of journalists being imprisoned on false news or what we would call now fake news charges. Now, we've, as long as we've been doing this for the past couple of decades, been tracking the number of journalists imprisoned on false news charges, but usually it was just a couple or a handful. And we've seen that, you know, fake news has become the new issue du jour and that countries around the world are using those charges to imprison journalists once again, um, equating reporting with false news. Um, There are ongoing concerns around criminal defamation, which is also used to imprison journalists. And actually on our website, we have a really extensive database where you can go through and look um, across the decades by year, by gender, by location, by charges, um, and see really in-depth all of this data in case any of your um, listeners are interested in doing that. It's at cpj.org. You knew I was going to ask that next. (laughs) (laughs) So we're talking about some of the regions where there have been high numbers of journalists that have been imprisoned. Have there been regions where you are seeing progress, where we're not seeing that happen, where it's been the reverse? Um, Sadly, not really. Uh, We did see some improvement in Ethiopia, but unfortunately, we saw backsliding. And so now, um, last year, Ethiopia was no not even on our prison census for the first time in, in a long time. Um, but unfortunately, now we see that despite Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed getting the Nobel Prize, um, he is also overseeing a return to the old tactics of censorship. And so there's a journalist in jail there. But, you know, We're hoping that he feels the pressure. Um, I mean, I think the challenge right now is that it's so easy to target and repress journalists because there's really, you know, no one on the world stage standing up for them, speaking out other than, you know, groups like my my own. But we don't see any 
you know, countries really coming out with the United States taking a back seat um, on press freedom and other countries worrying about, you know, their strategic or security economic relationship with Saudi Arabia, for example, or, you know, terrorism cooperation with Turkey, they're just not speaking out. They're not holding um, these countries accountable for the ongoing detention of journalists year after year after year. And why do you think that is? I think that um, part of it is because you've seen the withdrawal of the United States from promoting human rights in the international arena. So both rhetorically, of course, the um, favorite use of the term fake news by President Trump to delegitimize the press, to pillory individual journalists and undermine the idea of journalism and its fundamental role in democracy, couple that with the withdrawal of the United States from international bodies like UNESCO, which has a mandate on freedom of expression in the UN, or for the withdrawal from the UN Human Rights Council, um, and the fact that you have major presidential visits and other high-level visits with the president of um, of Turkey and China, and then these issues are not brought up. I mean, President Trump just met with Erdogan last month, and as far as we know, did not say anything about the massive crackdown on the press there and the evisceration of independent journalism. And uh, your report also, you know, it, it is chock filled with data, and I do encourage people to go online and read this. Uh, could you give me a few other takeaways, such as the breakdown by gender, more women, female or male journalists, mm-hmm. uh, for instance? Sure. I mean, just one thing, like, yes, it is definitely chock full of data. We do a lot of data analysis and a lot of statistics. But what's really key for us is that every single number on this census is a person. And we know them. And we talk to their families. And we talk to their lawyers. And we talk to their you know, the news outlets where they work, and everyone is an individual. And when you jail this journalist, it has broad repercussions, not only on society's right to know and, you know, holding those in power accountable, but on their families, on their friends. So I just want to put that out there. But if we think about some of the data um, that I think we found this year, we continue to see that local journalists, are paying the greatest price. They comprise 98% of the journalists behind bars. Um, We also saw, as usual, that there are uh, far fewer female journalists who are behind bars. Um, You know, there are also fewer female journalists who are killed every year, um, thankfully. And we don't necessarily know um, why this is, but it is something notable Um, We saw that globally, the majority of journalists are facing anti-state charges. As I mentioned, that's about two-thirds, and and 12% are charged um, with false news. And um, in terms of the most dangerous beat, politics is actually the most dangerous beat, if you can imagine. Um, But also covering corruption and human rights are also very dangerous and can land you in jail. And, you know, we've got just a few minutes left. I'm really curious as, you know, this report comes out and we're talking about the scenario across the globe in many regions. Um, any predictions as you look ahead? Are you, do you, you know, we all would have hope uh, that these regions would 
you know, uh, respect journalists and that there would be more uh, freedom to be able to publish and print online hard copy uh, to be able to report the news. And I'm saying this as a former journalist who still feels like one every day. As we look ahead, do you see these threats continuing to mount or an easing up of them? So unfortunately, I think that um, we are going to see the threats against journalists continue but I think that we're also seeing a diversification. So we've seen a lot fewer journalists killed this year um, than in previous years, although we're seeing the same numbers imprisoned. Um, But we're also seeing things like uh, media capture, like using tax evasion charges or administrative harassment of news outlets to, you know, bury them in red tape or, you know, fines Um, We're seeing issues around, you know, online regulations for media. Uh, You know, if you have a certain number of users online being required to register as a news site, um, restrictive licensing requirements, all sorts of things that are restricting um, the press and trying to control information, but which are a little bit harder to do advocacy around, a little bit harder to galvanize public attention around. It is easier to um, talk about and and for people to understand why putting a journalist in jail is horrific and problematic and needs to change and we can do campaigns on behalf of those journalists who are imprisoned. It's much harder to do that when, you know, a news outlet is forced to register um, or restricted from, you know, getting funding from overseas or that sort of thing. So I think we're going to see the diversification of threats. Um, I don't know that we're going to see much improvement in terms of imprisonment, but because we see that countries are very interested in passing false news laws and that um, even in places like the European Union, where, you know, they're not looking at issues around disinformation and fake news as a way to delegitimize or restrict journalism, nonetheless, efforts to deal with the real scourge of um online fake news and the circulation of disinformation and computational propaganda is nonetheless sending a signal globally that, oh, this is a legitimate way, um, you know, to restrict restrict journalism. You know, we saw the same thing with terrorism. So, you know, I don't see things getting much better. Um, I, I don't think that we yet see a champion on the world stage for these issues. Uh, with the the, you, the United Kingdom and Canada have launched a campaign to defend media freedom, but you know we haven't seen a lot of visibility on that yet or meaningful action. So we hope we do, but you know it's really going to take these countries holding each other responsible and making them pay a diplomatic price. I think to see any real change. And with that, I'd like you, Courtney, just to repeat for our listeners uh, the website, how they could learn more uh, and be able to look at the survey and learn more about your organization. Absolutely. We are at www.cpj.org. That's for the Committee to Protect Journalists. We are on Twitter at Press Freedom and on Instagram at Committee to Protect Journalists. And we are just wrapping up our Free the Press campaign And it's a great way to get involved and learn more about the journalists who are in prison and um, send them a note of support and show your support. So I hope you'll join us um, on Instagram. 
Courtney Ratch, Advocacy Director at the Committee to Protect Journalists. Thank you so much for joining me, Jeff Simmons, here on WBAI today. Thank you so much. So you are listening to WBAI 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. I am your host, Jeff Simmons. You're listening to Driving Forces. want to remind you, if you've just tuned in, we are in the middle of our pledge drive. And uh, what I'm hoping to do during the show is just to get say, five WBAI buddies, uh, like myself, like many of the people that I know, where we uh, sign up as a buddy, and that shows our ongoing support. If you're at home right now and you consider pledging, just maybe consider $5, $10, $20 a month, a recurring donation once a month to be able to support our listener-supported, commercial-free, uh, non-corporate uh, radio. Remember, just think back a few weeks ago when we had been our local programming was off for a month because of the rogue faction of Pacifica uh, that had knocked us off the airwaves and uh, the uh, struggle and the fight to be able to return to the airwaves. Uh, if it meant something to you, that loss of WBAI during that time, uh, then c- please consider becoming a BAI buddy. Uh, it would mean the world to many of us who are volunteers uh, who keep this station going, who've been part of the life of the station for the last 60 years. The pledge number is 516-620-3602. Again, that number is 516-620-3602. So we were just, uh, I was just speaking with uh, Courtney Ratch, uh, from the committee, uh, to protect journalists, uh, about what was going on across the globe. But you also have to consider what has taken place here in our country. And one thing that she had talked about was the, uh, phrase fake news, which, you know, more than a few years ago were we even Thinking of that, you might have said, oh, this is not something I agree with or that story might be wrong. But the phrase fake news was something that our our president has uh, championed. And uh, I was reading another report uh, from uh, I want to say this one was from this one says reporters, reporters without borders, uh, where the quote from there was never before have U.S. journalists been subjected to so many death threats or, or turned so often to private security firms for protection. Think about that. When I was a journalist, I did not have protection. But now in this environment in the country, it makes sense that many, uh, many feel they need to go ahead and do that. So I wanted also instead not just to talk about what's going on across the globe, but in our country as well. And recently, members of the National Press Club elected Michael Fried journalist in residence at University of Maryland Global Campus and executive producer of the CALB Report to serve as the organization's 113th uh, president. He will assume that office in January 2020. So I invited Mr. Friedman here on the show. Uh, Michael Friedman, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be with you. Congratulations on your new role. Thank you very much. It comes at a very challenging time, but it's a it's a good challenge and a worthwhile challenge, and I'm looking forward to it. So, and, and you just kind of introduced it that way. It comes at a challenging time. In your acceptance speech, uh, you talked about the challenges facing the journalism profession. Can you talk a little about that? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, some of them are, are pretty evident. Um, uh, and, and, of course, Courtney just talked about the issues facing the safety of journalists globally and the national press club which which bills itself as the 
the world's leading professional organization for journalists and has been with us since 1908, is deeply committed um, as a champion of freedom of the press, as well as the protection of journalists worldwide. Um, the Press Club stands for ethics and excellence within the profession and workplace standards uh, in, in our newsrooms. And I've been fortunate to be involved for the last nearly 20 years in the education of the next generation of journalists and also something that has come to the fore in the last few years, which is becoming more critical with each passing year, and that is news and media literacy for the general public. Ultimately, as I move into this position, we're now at a point in time where all of us in the profession are going to have to commit ourselves to protecting the reputation of journalism in addition to protecting journalists themselves. And, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, it's all the presidents. It's the president who does this. He has set the tone. But, I mean, when you really step back and think about it and you talk about, media, you know, literacy when it comes to the media, I also think of people who – you know, just traditionally have not trusted journalists because they, you know, they they watch television shows or see things in movies and they don't have a concept of what journalists really do. Can you talk a little about, you know, the, the scope of the issue and why the general public might have a misimpression about the work that journalists do? Sure. Well, news literacy is something that at one time was taught uh, in schools through other means, through civics classes, mm -hmm. general government classes. Um, journalism is a profession that is embedded uh, in the U.S. Constitution, uh, in, in the First Amendment. Freedom of the press is a pillar of our democracy, and there are a growing number of people who don't understand, perhaps, the role of journalism in our democracy um, and how critical it is to maintain this watchdog entity on our government. Over the course of the last couple of decades, really, more and more newspapers have either diminished in size or gone completely out of business, leaving a number of our communities across the country with no viable source of local news. And when you need to rely on more national news, you don't really get a feel for what's happening within your city government, in the mayor's office, what the school board is doing, what the police and fire departments are doing, and, uh, and take that up to the, the county level and then the, the regional and state levels. And uh, we're losing um, uh, our understanding of the pulse of, of what's happening in our communities, and there are new news organizations that are cropping up there are some valiant efforts that uh that are out there but we really do need to rely on our deep and wide news organizations that have reputations um uh, for good journalism uh to rely on because really jeff in the end people ask themselves who can i trust um and and we're at the point now as a result of the digital democracy in which we live where you really want to aim for multiple sources and compare notes in order to reach a conclusion about whether to believe something. And as a result of that, we desperately need 
our best news organizations to survive and thrive in an era when uh, newspapers are disappearing across America. And that's you know, part of that is a corporate culture. Um, and it's the, the, the business side of things versus the journalistic side of things. Um, and uh, we have more information at our fingertips than ever before in our history. And we're seeing probably the greatest revolution in the flow of information since since Gutenberg created the printing press in 1450. Um, and knowledge uh, knowledge is power, and and it's in certain people's best interest uh, when the people don't know what's happening. So I can't think of a time in our history when journalism has been more important than it is now, and people are losing a grip to a degree on what journalism is and what it stands for, because, and you're right, it's not just the president of the United States. He didn't create this. He just is perpetuating notions that, that people have. And when um, there, there are fake news stories um, out there, uh, you know, something as mundane as the onion uh, is, yeah. is, can, can be considered fake news, right? But it's humorous. It's, it's, satirical. it's satirical humor. There's a difference between um, the, the different elements of of fake news satirical humor is one um, a second is purposely fake news to propagandize a subject to sway public opinion uh, when you when you purposely write or air something um, that is false and then there's that third category uh, which the president of the United States has used which is to term anything that um, that he finds negative about him uh, to be fake news. Um, and, and we see quite a redundancy on that. And what that ultimately um, uh, ends up doing is confusing people. And it's no wonder that people are confused with, uh, with everything that's out there. And we're watching this play out every day in our country. And Consumers need to be smarter about it. And when that happens, again, going to the president, he goes beyond, you know, saying it's the fake news media. He attacks specific reporters and specific outlets. And, you know, I had read a number of the, uh, the books about the, uh, campaign season when he ran and, you know, just reading what, uh, he was doing to Katie Turr at the time, uh, was just astounding. How does the National Press Club respond when, you know, or what role does the National Press Club play when you have an administration that crosses that line, going beyond just saying this is a, a story that we feel is wrong to attacking specific reporters? Marty Barron, the executive editor of the Washington Post and the former executive editor of the Boston Globe, um, has a line where he says, uh, we're not at war, we're at work. Um uh, the the antidote for this is a continuation of good journalism. Um, I, I'm I'm not sure that an eye for an eye is going to solve anything at this point. Um, the the and I'll, I'll use the phrase no pun intended. The fact of the matter is um, there that you 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 just can't make up your own facts. There are not alternative facts um, out there, as some have suggested. Um, I recall that uh, Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan of of New York once said, everyone is entitled to his opinion, but not his own facts. And um, we do have people out there uh, who are offering up their opinions um, as as facts. Um, as journalists, um, our job is is 
relatively clear, and and it is um, not to tell people what we think, not to tell people what we feel, just to tell people what we know. And you notice that um, most news organizations draw a line between saying that what the president might have said is untrue and that the president is lying, because lying um, um, indicates an intent to mislead. Um, And without the ability to get into somebody's head, uh, we can say if something is untrue, but oftentimes um, you can't go as far as to say that somebody is lying because we don't know what the whether there was specific intent there. And I'm just being gracious and fair um, uh, about that. So as we look at the uh, the horizon, uh, you know, we're in this period in time. I mean, I think of what it was like when I was a journalist started out in college, uh, work, you know, uh, working off a, a typewriter, then to a an eight, what was known as an ATEX system at that point. When I think about it, for anyone an old timer in journalism might know this. Um, but you know, I think of what journalists face today. You know, and I, I'm impressed with their ability uh, to you know get these stories turned around quickly and fairly and accurately. But information is so much more accessible now in so many different platforms than ever before. What are the the challenges on the horizon that, you know, many of these news outlets are going to be facing? Yeah, some of it, uh, uh, Jeff, is is business model related um, as um, as digital platforms continue to rise at know, a record pace, uh, and uh, I'll take the newspaper side, for instance, and as as the print publications continue to diminish, along with that, um, there's there's a diminishing uh, return from uh, from ad revenue. Um, broadcasters are facing, you know, something very similar. I spent much of my career in radio, um, uh, like you, and. Um, Terrestrial radio broadcasting uh, is facing some real challenges today. I, I happen to uh, radio is the nearest and dearest medium uh, to my heart. I, I wanted to go into radio since I was about ten years old and had the great good fortune to spend more than thirty years in in radio broadcasting. And I always felt that that radio not only was the most intimate of all the media. It's the one medium that you can actually fall in love with. Um, you have the ability, as you do, to paint pictures for the mind's eye and to and to help raise this to an art form through through your choice of words and through your choice of sound. Um, and, and I think it's quite beautiful. And that's part of the reason why I think radio is finding such success in podcasting um, as it as it um, I don't want to say moves to, but expands into digital platforms. Um, but radio is facing challenges uh, on the commercial side from advertising dollars and on the uh, public radio side um, uh, from uh, digital digital services. I think within our newsrooms, we're finding a tremendous number of layoffs um, over the last several years. We're seeing a lot of um, a lot of sales of uh, of um, of radio stations and television stations and newspapers, Gannett uh, has just merged with Gateway, and uh, you know that that um, covers hundreds and hundreds of newspapers across the country. There's going to be a huge consolidation. So 
journalists that are working today don't feel the same sense of security that they might have 20 or 30 years ago, that they're going to be able to complete their careers uh, in their chosen field. That translates to young journalists who are coming out of our universities um, who need to make a decision about whether after two, three, five years, at a time when they might want to buy a home, they might Mm -hmm. want to um, uh, um, uh, get married, uh, they have a partner, they might want to have children, and they have to decide whether this is a viable career or whether it's just going to be a series of jobs uh, for them as uh, as they go forward. We want these to be careers. Um, so we need to um, uh, uh, we need to support these major news organizations that are out there and some of the newer ones that that have come up, um, which are doing a, uh, a really good job. But the challenges are everywhere. They are financial related. Um, and uh, and the, the bottom line, though, on the journalism side is that journalism is journalism. The basic tenets of journalism, um, you know, to be accurate and to be fair and to cover the five W's and how, the who, what, where, when, why, and how to find the nut graph, to find a good lead. If you're a broadcaster, to not waste words, to um, uh, to be able to draw listeners and viewers and readers in. And first and foremost, I go back to to be accurate and fair um, is the most we can do. We can always do a better job of it. We're human. Uh, we make mistakes. Um, that happens. Um, but there's a lot of good journalism out there. The last thing I'll say. Uh, to that question is there is a lack of good, solid leadership in the profession today. Um, Dean Baquet, the executive editor of the New York Times, Marty Barron, the executive editor of the Washington Post, um, are beacons for good journalism. And there are a number of others out there. We need more. We need people who are committed to journalism as a pillar of our democracy and we need young people to want to continue to be enthusiastic about going into journalism. And uh, and that's part of what we hope to do over the next year through the National Press Club, because it is a powerful platform locally, regionally, nationally and globally uh, to promote all that's right and good uh, in journalism, to protect journalism, journalists and to protect the reputation of journalism. But I do think we need to get out there, not just teachers in our schools. In a lot of cases, news literacy has been relegated to our our overworked teachers in our schools. I think more news organizations have to get out there. More top journalists have to get out there in their communities and talk with um, their readers and viewers and listeners about what journalism is, why it's important, and what are the hallmarks of, of good journalism. I sound like I'm on a soapbox now. I'm going to get off. <laughs> well, Michael, Michael Friedman, we're about out of time. Can you just let our listeners know yeah. how they can learn more about you and the National Press Club, especially if they do want to get involved? Sure. Well, the easiest way to learn about the Press Club is through its website, um, press.org, and uh, P-R-E-S-S.org, press.org. Um, I have the great good fortune of working with a gentleman named Marvin Cal, K-A-L-B, um, and we have produced a public broadcasting series for the last 25 years about journalism, about the roles and responsibilities of journalism in 
in in our digital democracy. And Marvin Kalb, by the way, was the last correspondent personally hired at CBS News by Edward R. Murrow. And uh, he is the gold standard of broadcast news. And you can check out our website. It's just calbreport.org. And you'll find a lot of good information there. But I would urge everybody to uh, check out press.org. And uh, you can follow um, follow the Press Club on Twitter and um and, and I think you'd gain a lot of good information. Michael Friedman, thank you so much for joining me. Jeff Simmons here on WBAI Today. Thanks for the opportunity, Jeff, and great good luck to you. Thank you. So our uh, listener line is now open if you would like to call about the topics you've heard today or also to give me and Reggie an update on what has happened in the last hour down in Washington, D.C., trying to catch up on that as quickly as I can as well. Our number, 212-209-2877. Last week, we focused on Rudy Giuliani. If you did not get a chance to weigh in then and you want to talk about whether Giuliani is bringing the downfall of the president, you want to give us an opinion on Giuliani's record here in the city, I'll take that too. I want to hear from you. 212-209-2877. And as we're uh, awaiting some of the calls, I do want to remind you we are uh, in pledge drive right now. And it would be very important uh, if you are at home and considering this holiday season, this giving season, who which uh, uh, causes you want to support, please consider Think about what brings you joy. And if WBAI, it doesn't have to be my show. I mean, most shows are going to say, yes, support, you know, because you like my show. If you listen uh, to any other show, whether it's Cat uh, Cat Radio Cafe or if you listen to Reggie overnight uh, or um, or you enjoy the news with Paul DiRienzo or you're listening to the morning show and it means something to you, it would be incredible incredibly valuable for you to show your support for WBAI at this time. And there are multiple ways you could do that. And the one that uh, doesn't even require much thought after you do it the first time, you become a BAI buddy. You sign up to give a recurring donation every month of uh, a small amount. It can be a large amount, but most people give $10, $20 a month. Think about over the course of the year. $10 is $120 over, over the course of a year. And you could do it in multiple ways. You can go onto our website at give to wbai.org or you can pledge at 516-620-3602. You also can text WBAI to 41444. Multiple ways that you could show your support. Why is this important? Because, well, if you've listened to us, you know we're commercial free. We are supported by our listeners. We're not taking money from Apple or Amazon or Coca-Cola or Microsoft. We're not relying on them to stay on the air. We're staying on the air because of you, people who are uh, who have tuned in, who call us each week with your opinions, whether you agree or disagree with us. Well, that's what I want to hear. Our number, by the way, if you would like to give a call, is 212 209 2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. What I focused on today uh, for much of the show has been the, uh, the, uh, about journalism. And, you know, and that's something obviously that's still close to my heart because I'm friends with a number of journalists and I do hear from them uh, uh, often about the challenges that they face. Uh, you know, and throughout my career, I did have a number of stories where I would hear from people who agreed but also disagreed, uh, you know, and occasionally, you know, received threats, but not to the extent 
uh, where I felt that my life uh, had been in jeopardy. So again, the number to call is 212-209-2877. We have a caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What is your name and what's on your mind? Uh, And we lost the call, but you can call back at 212-209-2877. I've never seen Reggie look so depressed when that call just hung up. (laughs) So... um, so as as I was uh, saying when uh we thought we had the call uh that as a journalist you know I uh covered cops and crime and here in the city education and investigative reporting you know and you know there I I traveled in the circle of reporters and would often hear stories about uh the challenges that many face but not to the extent you know that you hear about now um you know there are a number of high profile uh, incidents involving journalists who have uh, been unfortunately uh, killed or injured and imprisoned, as we talked about with our first guest from the Committee to Protect Journalists. Uh, and here at home, uh, as you likely have seen, we have a president who regularly has berated reporters, singled out specific reporters, uh, mocked a, a, a reporter with a disability at one point, uh, you know, which has produced or inflamed uh, this climate uh, of animosity against journalists. You know, and there were, one of the reports that I had read had just talked about uh, the level of mistrust that many people have towards the media. Uh, it, it was a, there was a Gallup poll actually uh, that. Uh, was out within the last two years that said that Americans remain largely mistrustful of the mass media. And, um, you know, about 41% have a great deal or a fair amount of trust in newspapers, TV, and radio to report the news fully and accurately and fairly. But consider that 60% or just under that, uh, 59% do not. Um, you know, I'm curious why there's this loss of trust in journalists. And if you want to weigh in on that, you know, if you have a strong opinion about journalism or journalists or even specific outlets, give us a call. 212-209-2877. I'm curious why there's this loss of trust and what you feel about the news media's role in our democracy. If you feel they inflame tensions, if you feel that there is a rampant problem with fake media or fake news, uh, I'd like to hear from you at 212-209-2877. We have a caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what's on your mind? Okay, my name is Dennis. Hi, and, Dennis. Uh, media, fake media, whatever kind of media, uh, what do you, as, I assume you're a journalist or a writer or something, what do you see out there as propaganda? Do you believe that there is a certain degree of propaganda being forced maybe from both sides, if you want to be fair. But there is a lot of journalists, and TV especially, uh, who really take their job as being a mouthpiece for one side or the other, and sometimes maybe not lying, but you know, choosing what they decide to tell the public or actually coloring what they're telling the public do you believe that is true i mean i understand you know people have a job and sometimes you know there's crazy people on both sides that don't like what somebody says they're going to go after them like maniacs 
But I mean, as a journalist, what do you think propaganda? Do you see propaganda in our current news cycle? I often do. And Janice, you said something really important there that's always stuck with me. That years ago, one of the awakenings I had in this field was that even though if I was reporting the news based on the facts that I had, just my choice of what story that I covered, what issue that I covered was a bias because why did I choose that story versus some other story that could have gotten some attention? Uh, and, and I've always looked at things that way, too, as I read the papers and I watch TV and I consider why is this story first? There was a, a piece this morning just on how uh, all the major uh, networks last night did not – I think it was at the 630 News – did not lead with the impeachment but led with other stories at that time. Uh, and and you raise a very good point, too, about uh, the – you know, the – the different types of me or media outlets. I usually, I'm you, I grew up, well, grew up for a number of the years I've watched CNN that had been on, but I flipped back and forth between that and now MSNBC and Fox news, because I do want to see how different people are covering these stories, what they're saying, what they're not. And then from there, I, I tend to reach my decision about how I feel on an issue. I'd like to see the different areas because, yeah, I often do disagree with how a, a newscast, for instance, is framing something. But then I'll watch another newscast and feel, okay, they've presented the facts as I, I would have or answered the questions that I've had. Uh, thank you so much, Dennis. I believe we have another call on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? This is Mike from Rockland County. Hi, Mike. Welcome to WBAI. How are you? All right. What's on your mind? Well, I was just answering the question, and I missed most of the last callers, so I don't know if I'm repeating anything. But, um, you know, if news is for profits, how are you going to get valuable, useful information? And if the news is owned by a handful of organizations, how are you going to get useful information from them when they have their own agenda, which usually is to, you know, do things that make more money and consolidate more power for them or people in their class, so to speak. And the other thing is, it's more like a question. Why does everybody keep tuning in to the same handful of channels, like, you know, regular television, year after year after year? It's like circus. Almost. It's like uh, the equivalent of fake wrestling. Like It's just more and more talk about the same uh, uh, hype issues. But nothing, hardly anything has to do with what's, um, how am I doing in life? And, what's and, best for me? You know, what's going to, how do I get more power and, and influence as a regular person? How do I get stress out of my life? And What's going to change? And, and Mike, you raise you raise a good point because at least one of the advantages of having so many more outlets these days is we do get to pick and choose which ones are well aligned with our thinking or are providing us with the type of news that we want or or, or the facts that we want, and that's also caused a lot of I think 
uh, division in this country based on what you might, might consume or what I consume. Uh, I'd love to continue this conversation, but unfortunately, we are about to end the show. So, Mike, I do thank you for giving us a call today here on WBAI. Uh, so for my listeners, uh, this is my last show of the calendar year. I know Reggie's heart is broken right now um, because I am headed on my trip out to Chicago for the holidays. And so I really would like to thank first my guests tonight, the uh, Committee to Protect Journalists, Courtney Ratch, and then the National Press Club's Michael Friedman. I want to thank our callers, Dennis and Mike, uh, and also Reggie and Linda, uh, our program director, for uh, allowing me this opportunity to be here. Uh, and I look forward to being with you in 2020. You have been listening to me, Jeff Simmons, here on Driving Forces. Uh, thank you to our loyal, our dedicated listeners, to those who've become BAI buddies and those who are, are going to become BAI buddies sometime in the near future. Please stay with us. The news is up next with Paul DiRienzo. The WBAI Community Advisory Board will have its monthly meeting on December 15th. We will meet at 1 p.m. at 60 Wall Street Atrium in downtown Manhattan. The Community Advisory Board is tasked with reviewing programming goals and policy decisions established by the station. Again, the WBAI CAB meets December 15th at 1 p.m. at the 60 Wall Street Atrium, and you are invited to attend. Hope to see you there. Meetings of Pacifica Foundation Radio's Board of Directors and all of its standing committees, including WBAI's Local Station Board and Community Advisory Board, are open to the public. WBAI Board and Committee Meetings and Community Advisory Board Meetings are posted in the events calendar of WBAI's homepage at least one week in advance of the scheduled date and announced on air. In addition, all Pacifica Foundation radio meetings are posted at Pacifica.org under calendar with links to audio streams carrying the telephonic meetings and audio recordings of those meetings. If a meeting is closed to the public, a written explanation of the reason for closing will accompany the meeting's minutes available at Pacifica.org under calendar. If you want to be notified of meetings personally, please call WBAI at 347-335-0633 during business hours. This is the mic check for Cat Radio Cafe. No testing. Testing. Stay tuned for Cat Radio Cafe Sunday night at 11 on WBAI. I'm Janet Coleman. I'm David Dozer. The Displaced Playwright. On Sunday, December 15th, playwrights from the 12th Annual Origin First Irish Theater Festival on the repeal of Ireland's anti-abortion Eighth Amendment and Avi Hoffman on the nine-day I Love New York Yiddish Fest. And in the next hour of Cat Radio Cafe... A panel discussion on self-promotion. Sunday night at 11 on WBAI Cat Radio Cafe. And remember our slogan. The cats engage in self-promotion. Do you think T.S. Eliot thought up the idea for the world-famous musical Cats on his own?
Activist Sharon Salam speaks out for WBAI. We should be moving forward, collecting the funds that we need to make sure that our station is whole and that it can do its job as it has done for me in the past. When all of this stuff happened to me many, many years ago in 1989, I didn't get very many opportunities to speak out in regards to the wrong that was done to my son and the other boys in the Central Park Jogger case, as it was called at that time. Very few people stepped up. Yes, Like It Is was there. WBAI was there and a few others, majority of those stations that let people like myself speak and tell them what was going on on the other side 